Jesus. Your name is just so amazing. God, we love you. We're so thankful that you have allowed us to gather together and worship you, to lift your son's name above every other thing in our life. So God, we just give this service to you. Lord, we give our worship, our praise, our everything to you, God, here today. In your son's holy name, amen. Well, good morning, church. Um, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Holden. Uh, I am on staff here as a ministry resident, uh, and I also am overseeing the hospitality team right now. Um, I also get to be one of the communicators here at Regeneration Church. If you were here a couple weeks ago, I had preached then as well. Um, today, we're going to be looking at Acts 15, 36 through 40. Uh, we will take a look at what happens uh, when there are disagreements within the church and how to handle them. As I was writing this this week, uh, I was thinking about my past messages, and I realized uh, I talk about conflict a lot, whether that's because I like conflict or because God is trying to indicate that I need to work through the fact that I like conflict. I'm unsure. Um, but while I was thinking about it this week... Uh, I was thinking about how it is always present within the community of the church and our lives. I've heard people say things like, we're supposed to be united, we shouldn't be splitting up. Or when speaking to people in conflict, well, if only they were more mature, we wouldn't be having this issue. The problem is, conflict and disagreements are nothing new within the church. Why do we have so many different denominations? It's because people within the church couldn't agree upon practices or theologies, and so they just split up and created their own. And I've heard, sorry, let's just take a look at what's been going on uh, within the uh, Methodist church for the last few years. There has been much uh, conflict on, over the matter of uh, same-sex marriage, and last year they were supposed to meet and uh, take a vote on whether or not to split the church up, but then COVID happened. If you've heard about this, you know what's going on. If you haven't heard about it, don't worry. Leadership already knows and has, it has their mind wrapped around it. This isn't new, though. Even Paul could not live up to his request in Philippians 2.2, asking people of Philippi to remain of the same mind. So let's take a look at what happens in Acts 15. So if you guys would turn with me to Acts 15, verses 36 through 40. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where he proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take them with him. Uh, Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement 
so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here we have a sharp disagreement between Paul and his close friend Barnabas. Uh, now when we read this, this disagreement is not over something doctrinal based. Uh, such as the disagreement found earlier in chapter 15, where the church had to decide what was required of the Gentiles. Instead, this disagreement was a personal issue. This disagreement was about who they were going to bring with them on Paul's second, second missionary journey. See, Barnabas, he wished to bring John Mark with them, uh, and Paul did not believe that to be a good idea. So Paul and Barnabas split. Paul took Silas and went to Syria, and Barnabas took John Mark and went to Cyprus. Now, when a sharp disagreement happens, it's easy to conclude that there has to be a wrong party. Oftentimes, though, both parties are wrong. So who is right in this situation? Well, Luke doesn't tell us. I think we have to take a look at both sides to understand who is right and who is wrong. So first, I want to tell you guys who Mark was, or John Mark was. So John, known as Mark, is believed to be Mark the Evangelist, uh, the author of the Gospel According to Mark. Uh, he was the son of Mary who owned the house in Jerusalem that the apostles were praying at um, when Peter escaped from prison back in Acts 12.12. 12. He then becomes a companion of Paul and Barnabas in Acts 12.25. And then we see in Acts 13.13, 13, John Mark splits. He just leaves. He deserted his post as a companion and returned to Jerusalem. He left the apostles in their time of need. Why? Well, the actual reason is unknown. Um, there's much speculation about it, and throughout the week while I was researching it and trying to understand why John Mark would have left the apostles, um, for the most part, I found three things that, uh, three beliefs that scholars and commentators kind of hold um, belief on, and the first one was that he was unprepared for the spiritual warfare that he was going to face on the mission. The second thing was that he did not like the way that the situation was handled with Bar-Jesus. See, back, Bar, uh, Paul uh, declared that Bar-Jesus would go blind. He did not agree with the direction of Paul that Paul's ministry was headed. Um, before Acts 15, you know, there was still some uncertainty about how the Gentiles fit into the whole situation. Um, and it could have been that John Mark was a conservative Jew and did not want uh, to step in with Paul and go to, to the Gentiles. But either way, we don't really know why he left. These are just speculations. But when we look at the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, um, and we need to look at both sides, both reasons. Paul re Paul's reason is given. See, Acts 30, 15, 38 says, But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work.
Paul did not want to take someone with him that he could not rely on. John Mark left them. He deserted his post. And this was a serious matter. What general would take a soldier they could not rely on into battle? See, Luke 9.62 says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, John Mark had turned away from the mission and it could not be relied on. Paul, being of an apostolic nature, was always pushing forward, and he needed people with him that could push forward and wouldn't hold back the mission. And this sounds like a sound argument. In fact, when I first read through this and thought about it, I was like, Paul's right. John Mark shouldn't be with him. He can't be relied on. But before we pass judgment, let's take a look at Barnabas's reasoning. See, Barnabas's reasoning is not explicitly mentioned. But if we take a look at who Barnabas is, maybe we can understand why he wants to take John Mark with him. See, Barnabas's name means son of encouragement, and it makes sense that he would be trying to bring others along with him and encourage them and teach them uh, what is going on. In fact, this is exactly what he did with Paul in Acts 9. Uh, see, Paul comes to the church. Nobody wants anything to do with him. And Barnabas says, I will take you to the apostles. And he takes Paul to the apostles and starts this whole journey. I don't think Barnabas agreed with what John Mark did. Uh, I would say he believed that God's people had to remain faithful. But I do think that he would have reminded Paul about another gospel principle that past sins and failures do not stop future fruitfulness. Look at Peter. He denied Jesus three times and yet was used to build the church. So I can see Barnabas saying, if Peter, why not Mark? So who was right and who was wrong? Well, we don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. Some scholars will say that Paul was right because the church of Antioch blessed him and Silas and sent them on their way. But the Bible doesn't tell us who's wrong and who's right. I would say that they were both right and both wrong. I don't think Paul was wrong in believing that he needed somebody he could rely on, but he was also casting John aside and holding his past failures against him. And Barnabas was right in believing uh, in John and wanting him to continue in ministry, but may not have seen it through Paul's standpoint that John could have been a stumbling block for the mission. And because of this, Paul and Barnabas split. So what can we learn from this passage? Well, there are a few things that I believe we can take away as lessons from this passage. And the first thing is we don't always have to take sides. I want us to examine uh, our need to pass judgment on who is right and who is wrong in this passage. There are times that we must choose inside, choose a side and form an opinion, but that's not always the case. In the matter of doctrine and theology, Yes, there are non-negotiables that we have to form an opinion on and take aside. But there are many things that are negotiable, and sometimes it's better not to take aside. In fact, there are times it might be better for us to take a step back 
and give that situation to God, believing that God will use that situation for his plan. There are times where it may seem like we have to choose a side. See, I remember a close friend of mine who was a member at a church, and they served on uh, the platform there, but they also attended another church that would uh, often do check-ins, Facebook check-ins. Well, after a little while, um, my friend's pastors confronted her and asked her not to check in anymore. It would cause confusion within the church, and it didn't really look good. And when I was told about this story, I was pretty frustrated. Why does it matter? It was, the same, it was a cause of tension between my friend and her pastor. Both churches held the same doctrinal beliefs. To me, it makes sense that church leaders... Uh, church leaders would support people visiting other churches, working with other churches. And this situation made it feel like my friend had to take a side. I felt like I had to take a side as well. Should I support my friend or should I stand behind my pastor? Here is the thing. We are not expected to take sides. We should resist the immediate temptation to take a side in a disagreement and rather give it to God so that he may reveal the solution or situation to you. See, Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. By giving it to God, we are saying that he is in control, and we are not. The second thing uh, that we can learn from this passage is that disagreements will always exist in our time. See, there's this, there can be this idealistic view of the church and how it should be, how it should work. Every person has their own view, has their own view of what the church should do, what the church should look like. And when a pastor or a church doesn't meet that view, we oftentimes find ourselves questioning the gospel or as I have seen personally in my life, people questioning their faith and just walking away from it. But if we look at how human nature and sin could divide two godly apostles, it shouldn't be a surprise that there's disagreements today. 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 10 says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. See, we live in a time where we only see part of it. It's like a puzzle where we have just enough pieces of the puzzle to make out the picture, but we don't know everything. Because there's so much in the Bible that needs to be discussed, that needs to be interpreted, it's no surprise that there's disagreements. And there will continue to be disagreements until Jesus returns and the world is made perfect. I feel as though Matthew Henry puts it very well when he said, We shall never be all of a mind till we come to heaven, where light and love are perfect. So there's always going to be disagreements. But God will always use those disagreements for the good of his people. See, ba Paul and Barnabas, they split up. It seems like it could be a setback from the mission. But these two apostles who have worked together for so long 
are no longer working together, and it seems as though they've lost something good. But let's just think a minute how God has control over this situation. See, in this split, Paul takes Silas and goes to Syria. Barnabas takes John Mark and goes to Cyprus. The mission field has doubled. More churches are being planted. More disciples are being encouraged. We now have a bigger furthering of the kingdom of God because of this. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are calling, called according to his purpose. So while this disagreement uh, may have seemed like a setback for Paul in the missionary journey, because God was in control, because of God's providence over the situation, it was able to be used for the good and furthering of the kingdom. And he may have used it for good in more than one way. Let's take a moment and just speculate about a couple of situations. So Barnabas, wanting to encourage John Mark, probably, that probably gave him hope that he wasn't a failure. Paul's tough love probably gave John Mark the determination not to repeat his past mistakes. And Paul, you know, he seemed he cared more for the faithfulness and the work than he did about the people or the workers with him. But we see that Paul eventually, he, he came back and he came to a place of patience and grace. See, in Philemon 17 through 19, Paul is urging Philemon to forgive Onesimus and begs him to receive him as he would Paul. At a glance, this passage may seem like a setback in the mission. But because of God's providence, it was used for the furthering of the kingdom. The last thing that... Uh, we can learn from this passage, not that we can't learn many other things from this passage, but the last thing in my notes is that differences don't destroy love. See, despite this disagreement, despite this split, Scripture shows us that both Paul and Barnabas continue to view each other as faithful servants to Christ and as brothers. Paul refers to Barnabas as a fellow servant in 1 Corinthians 9, 5 through 6. Paul also exhorts all believers to pray for all the saints. Ephesians 6.18 If he was exhorting this, and I'm, sh I'm sure that he was also praying for all the saints as well. He was praying for Barnabas. He was praying for John Mark. In 2 Timothy, we see Paul uh, calling for John Mark to come back into his ministry, telling them, he is useful to me. Just as the apostle exhorted, we too should be keeping those we have disagreements with in our prayer list. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 5, 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Yes, just because you've had a disagreement with someone, you've had an argument, does not mean they are your enemy. That does not mean they are persecuting you. I understand that. But the principle remains the same. 
It's possible that in that disagreement, somebody was hurt. But we are called to love each other. So we should continue praying for that person, even though we've had a disagreement with them or split up with them. Just because we fight or split up does not mean we can lo cannot love one another. Our disagreements should never be so final that there is no place for reconciliation. As stated before, Paul reconciles with John Mark. And he wants him along with him on another part of the journey. When it comes to disagreements, there are some non-negotiables. Someone once put it to me like this. As long as they believe that Jesus came down from heaven, was born, buried, and resurrected to forgive our sins, everything else can be civilly discussed. While I believe there might be a few more non-negotiables than just that, the message remains the same. The point they were making was that we can disagree on the smaller things and still love one another and work together. So we've learned some interesting things about disagreements. You don't always have to take a side. Disagreements will always exist. God has control over disagreements. And differences don't destroy love. So what are we going to do with these insights? Well, today I'm going to give us some do's and don'ts about conflict and disagreements. And I'm going to start with the don'ts because I like to end on a positive uh, note. So what's the first thing that we don't do? Well, we don't tell others. You see, I'm sure that Paul, while in Syria, was telling all the believers there what a crack shot Barnabas was because he wanted to bring this person with him that had deserted them previously. Similarly, I'm sure Barnabas was over in Cyprus telling all of the new believers uh, how heartless Paul was because he wouldn't forgive John Mark and bring them with him. I highly doubt that's actually what happened, but so often that's the trap that we fall into. We often refer to this as venting. Uh, the Bible has another word for it, gossip. Yes, venting can be good as long as it's not sinful. It's not about painting that person in a bad light. I can vent about a situation and not about the person. James 4.11 teaches us not to speak evil against each other, or we are speaking evil against the law and judges and have become a judge, which is not our position. Proverbs 10.18 tells us that whoever utters slander is a fool. Just a quick side note, a fool is one of the uh, worst insults in the Bible, so you really don't want to be labeled a fool. So what's the second thing? Well, we don't complain about them. It's similar to telling others, uh, but we should not be complaining about people. See, James 5, 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We should not be dragging people's names through the mud because we had a disagreement. See, Ephesians 4.29 says that we should not let any corrupting talk come from our mouth except for that which builds up the church. 
And what's the final thing we shouldn't do in conflict? We shouldn't pass judgment. Both James 4 and 5 spoke about how when we complain, when we tell others that we are passing judgment on the other party, we are becoming the judge. Whereas Matthew 7 explicitly says, do not judge. It's the, it's the first verse right there. Do not judge. So then what do we do? Well, we do try to work it out. See, Acts 15, 39 says that there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas over the topic of John Mark. And this shows us that they were trying to work through it. A sharp disagreement doesn't just happen because one person has one viewpoint and another person has another viewpoint. It happens because they were talking about it, trying to come to a solution, and they could not find one. And so they split up. When we experience disagreement or conflict, we must try to work it out with each other. Jesus spoke about this a lot, and I'm going to give us a few key verses that I found. There's a lot more in the Bible, um, but these are the three big ones that stuck out to me. The first one is Matthew 5, 38 through 42, Luke 17, 3, and Matthew 18, 15. I'm going to read those again for those of you who are writing it down. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. Luke 17, 3. Matthew 18, 15. See, all three of these verses are about working it out with someone who has wronged you. We are called to love each other, not judge each other. The second thing that we can do when we come under a disagreement is unite under a common cause. There's no doubt as we work together, uh, people of different cultures, times of life, personalities, that we're not always going to see things the same. People have many different viewpoints, just as Paul and Barnabas did, but they had a common cause that united them. They were united under the cause of Christ. Though they disagreed, that did not stop them from furthering the kingdom. Rather, they just furthered the kingdom separately for a while. We must unite under the common cause when we're in a disagreement with someone. And what's the last thing that we can do? Well, this one's kind of hard sometimes. We can move forward. See, there comes a point in our life where we must recognize then not everyone is going to see things how we see it. See, we see, we see a resolution to the problem, but the other person may not see that as a resolution. People have many different viewpoints. We don't account for others' viewpoints. Philippians 2 talks about putting others' needs before our own, and I would say that that includes putting ourselves in another person's shoes to understand and see their viewpoint. While it would be nice for everyone to see things my way, see things your way, it's not always going to happen. And we cannot let our differences define how we treat other people. We have to be willing to let go and move forward. 
These are not the only do's and don'ts, but I do believe that they are a good starting point for us. Ultimately, though, no matter the disagreement or conflict, we are called to love each other just as Jesus loves us. And nothing can supersede that. Here at Regen, one of the things we do is response time because we don't just want to hear the word of God, we want to be changed by it. And so um, this morning, as, as Holden's been preaching this sermon, I, I keep thinking about, you know, we view conflict in one way, usually, as he talked about, from our perspective, um, and usually as a negative thing, as this is something that I have to endure, or this is something that's happening to me. And yet, in this passage, we see where God uses it for the good of his kingdom when it's handled well. And so my uh, invitation to you today is, what is the Father asking of you? Um, I don't know if there's, there's, most of us, you know, there's often a conflict that's happening, or we feel it brewing, or we've just come out of a conflict. Um, but as you think about that, as the Lord brings that to mind, how is he getting your attention? So is it in the matter of um, maybe not to be talking to other people about it? Is it an issue of um, needing to move forward and to forgive? Um, so let's take a moment, and you can just reflect, ask the Father to bring to mind what situation he wants to kind of work with you on and, and maybe what particular area he's highlighting for you. So let's take a moment, and then I'll, I'll pray for us. we confess that for some of us we run to conflict maybe because life feels a little boring and there's drama or maybe because we just can't help ourselves but to say what, what's on our minds and fathers for others of us we confess that we run away from conflict that we um, fake it and we try to create fake peace just to not have difficult conversations Jesus we ask that you would show us a better way that we would follow your example of living a life that is marked by truth and by grace, that is marked by honesty and love. Father, I pray for our spiritual family today that we would be united under the common cause of your love and of sharing that love with those who don't yet know you. That, Father, that there would be no conflict that would arise among us that would keep the gospel from going forward that we would be quick to love one another, that we'd be quick to forgive one another, that even in speaking the truth, that there would be grace. Father, that our past mistakes would not keep us from future fruitfulness, and that we would not hold people's past mistakes against them either. So, Father, we come today, we confess our, our sin, our personal sin, and we ask, Father, that you would forgive us and that we would forgive others. In your name. I think one of the things about being a church like Regen that's that's new and kind of a fresher culture is that 
some people that are already, it, it positions us to reach a cross-section of people, and part of that cross-section is people that have been wounded by church. And so some of you have found your way here via uh, escaping from or uh, through some pretty rough conflict. And if that's you, um, there's a group of us that has been receiving some training in inner healing prayer. And there just might be some wounds that um, we could pray with you for. And so if that's you, uh, let me or Steph know and we'll arrange a time to just do some prayer ministry with you that's just a little more in-depth than a quick prayer at the back of the room at the end of a gathering. But we, we do really, we have found a lot of joy in uh, be, being taught a process for forgiveness that's it's exacting and powerful and intense, and but it's it's been really freeing for some of our folks on our team. So just kind of felt nudged to say that if you find in yourself just an unforgiveness that there there's some healing that can come from that and and because the enemy really uses unforgiveness to torture us right so we come to this table together today knowing and believing that it is more than a symbol and it is more than a sign uh, it is an actual encounter with the living presence of Jesus who uses this meal to knit our hearts to one another's to knit our hearts together as one family paul says when we eat of this bread if we eat of that one loaf are we not one body when we drink of that cup are we not sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings are we not one there's a oneness that is formed in us as we come to this table together and so uh, in a few moments, we'll invite you forward. Um, there'll be two people down here. They'll, if you'll come, they'll place a little communion packet in your hand. You can go back to your seat and receive it. The band will be playing. As an act of hospitality, uh, we have gluten-free options available. And, and this is key. Every person with a pulse is invited to this table. Every person with a pulse is invited to this table because Jesus his body is broken for the whole world his body is his blood is poured out for all of us and he invites to this table all of us to come and experience his grace for the first time for the 101st time for the one millionth and first time so I need two people to help me serve communion today I was just explaining to Missy and Kyla that, like, you know, we say something, don't we? Like, the body and blood of Christ given for you. But it's not magic, right? So if they don't say those words, it's not like it doesn't work anymore, right? I watch. It's This is a holy moment, but not that holy, right? You know, so this is, this is Christianity, not Harry Potter. Thank you, Jesus. So, <laughs> Father, would you pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup? And on all those who receive it, would you knit our hearts together today into a family of love? 
Lord, where there is bitterness and unforgiveness, where there is anger and disdain, where there is contempt, would you refresh us? Would you renew us and would we be restored in this today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The table is open. Put on then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So so good to be with you this morning. Thanks, Holden, for your faithfulness in that. Uh, I evidently needed extra grace this morning. I had a double portion communion. I had two crackers. The Lord needed to do something there, I guess. I don't know. Um, hey, listen, if you have a few minutes, we just need a couple people to help us move some tables into the Otterbein room for the rummage sale this weekend. So who is in charge of that? Stephanie Tennant is in the lovely, the ever beautiful Stephanie Tennant is in charge of that process. So uh, you, you can find her in the lobby. I love you so much. Grace and peace. See you next week.